VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Wednesday, November the 23rd. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams is producing the show. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air to talk about whatever's on your mind, 273-5211, or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, one 590 vocm which is 8626. So don't need me to tell you. Icy morning out there, and it's really, I guess it's predictable, but it's funny that we should have to remind people to scrape your windshield. I knew full well at some point this morning I was going to see someone who just had a peephole, you know, just dragged the glove across one little part of their windshield in front of the steering wheel so they could just absolutely minimally navigate their trek to work or wherever they were heading. So scraping the windshield is probably a pretty good idea. All right. So today is the day. Now, you know, for me, things like music and sports where we can back out some of whatever the division that you might think, think or feel or see in the country, these are the opportunities where, you know, we can take a deep breath and just enjoy something that is not controversial necessarily. Now, there's lots of controversy about Qatar hosting the games and FIFA is the most corrupt organization on the face of the earth. But Canada makes their debut at the World Cup today against Belgium. Now, harken back to 1985 when they played, of all places, at King George V right here, and Canada qualifies by beating Honduras. That day, I was at the game. A couple of great stories from that game too, right? So first off, the Hondurans, they didn't know where we were, where St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador was. So they had a side trip to St. John, New Brunswick before they made their way to St. John's. And then, of course, we sat, I don't know how and why this happened, but we sat right in front of the Honduran fan with the big bass drum that he beat incessantly for the entire match. And we made our way, of course, then to the 86 World Cup. We didn't get demolished, but we didn't score a goal, and we always gave up at least one in each match. First off, we played uh, the then-Soviet Union, lost 2-0. Then we played Hungary, same scoreline, 2-0 loss. And then France in a close one. France just put one up on us and beat us one to nothing. And, of course, today, Belgium, 3.30, island time. The team, or maybe it's just, you know, we get caught up in the optimism and the excitement. When I watch the qualifiers, it looks like we have a pretty good team and lots of really good players. But, of course, it's one thing to be beating teams in the CONCACAF division, quite another to come up against the Belgians of the world. But anyway, it happens today, and I'm personally really excited to watch it. Belgium today, and then Sunday they play Croatia. That's going to be tough, too. And Morocco on Thursday next week, and they were undefeated in their qualifiers in Africa. So, anyway, long road ahead. Talk about another congregation of the world's athletes. This one, I'm going all the way back to the St. Louis Summer Olympics, the third Summer Olympics of the modern-day era. Today was the closing ceremonies. A couple of interesting things that happened in St. Louis that year. One of the most remarkable athletes is a fellow named George Iser. He's an American gymnast. He won six medals, even though he has one leg made of wood, or did. I guess Mr. Iser is dead now. But six medals as a gymnast, one leg made of wood. A fellow named Frank Kugler. Won four medals in freestyle wrestling, weightlifting, and get this, tug-of-war. Only competitor to win a medal in three different sports at the same Olympic Games. Okay, how about that? And today, 1988, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, sort his 600th goal on his way to 892. And this is a cool, uh, cool one. I've always wanted to have a jukebox in my house. I know my friend here, Mike Campbell at K-Rock, he's got a jukebox, at least one in his home. Today, the very first jukebox made its debut. Back then, they called it Nickel in the Slot Player. It was at the Palais Royale Saloon in San Francisco, built by the Pacific Photograph Company, and that happened today in 1889. Okay, 
more serious matters. So yesterday at the Federation of Labor's uh, conference, a fellow named Perry Felton. He's the vice president of Steelworkers Union Local 9316. He's also a worker at the site at Combine Chancellor, the Brea Renewable Fuels Facility, as they now call it. So this was all about the one person who died as a result of the flash fire. And that guy's name is, of course, Sean Peddle. Not only is Feltham uh, part of the leadership group at the, the local 9316, he was there that day, and he was actually talking about his experiences, speaking with Peddle as he lay on the floor after the incident. He, of course, he died weeks later in the hospital. Mr. Feltham sat across the table from Sean's wife many times. He knows the results of the investigation, the primary investigation, into what happened that day. It hasn't been publicly disclosed. And so here's this gentleman who watched Mr. Peddle struggle on the floor after the flash fire, knows what happened, and can't tell her. Now, when the investigation is concluded, of course, we all have to know. So whether it be Mr. Feltham or anyone else who is working on site out there at this moment in time, if you'd like to talk about it, we can indeed. No one's going to forget what happened on the 2nd of September when that took place and so many people ended up in the hospital and, of course, Mr. Peddle dead. Extraordinary story. A powerful words coming from Mr. Feltham yesterday. Okay, so I guess the big story at this moment in time, and there's tons of them, no shortage of big stories, is the carbon tax. Now, we all know the current structure of the carbon tax here. The province applies a carbon tax, it's around 11 cents now, to gasoline, diesel, right? But exemptions for home heating fuels, which has been a great relief for so many people as we see the cost of heating our homes. And here we come into the winter months. Now, it is important, for accuracy's sake, the federal carbon tax will not be uh, implemented this winter. It comes into effect next July the 1st. Okay. So there's several implications here. A few. Of course, it comes with the rebate. So the folks in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario have been on the federal backstop plan, but they now added Nova Scotia, PEI, and us. So the rebate is what the federal government will tout. Now, I heard Minister O'Regan say that he resents all of the unnecessary fostering of anxiety and the like, and Minister O'Regan will be on this program today. But it's important to note that, you know, even if we have some political rhetoric being bandied about, which may indeed cause some undue anxiety, the fact of the matter is, when people look at the cost of heating their homes today, if you use oil, then they're going to be justifiably nervous about what is, uh, com- what's to come next year. So the feds can downplay it all they like, but this comes with a variety of different implications here in the province. So let's talk about what the rebates will be. In this province, the Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, I had it right in front of me a second ago, $328 quarterly adds up to $1,312. Yes, there'll be money back in your bank account. But if we're talking about the true cost for heating your home, your home with oil, that doesn't cover it. Of course it doesn't. So this is not to be making anybody unnecessarily worried or anxious. We're talking about the reality that people of the province are facing. For instance, if say you're a single senior, and they'll, in combination with the carbon tax coming to the province, they'll talk about the $5,000 available for moving from oil to heat pumps, for instance. And we've got a good guest coming up on that as well this morning. For some, it simply won't cover it. So the threshold for cutoff there, if I'm a single senior living in my home, it's if I have any more than $26,500 coming in, I'm not eligible. 
So there's going to be some people left out. Then there's some upfront costs that even when we stack different programs, it might not cover the cost of the full move. Now, the $5,000 upfront is helpful. Of course it is because applying for a rebate leaves so many people out there wondering what they can do to try to stay warm throughout the winter. So, okay, a rebate is coming, but the implications for, for instance, the fishery and for farmers. So because we haven't lived under the federal scheme or program or plan, I'm not 100% sure what kind of exemptions are available, period. Now, the, Minister O'Regan says that, you know, the worry is unnecessary being stoked by, I assume he's referring to opposition parties. But even the provincial governing liberals are opposed to this. And I've said as much. So we'll see what we can get from the minister when we speak with him a little bit later. But then, you know, they use references to the fact that 8 out of 10 will be better off. Well, what about the 2? We can't dismiss the concerns and the financial worries of the other 2 out of 10. So then there's implications to the provincial treasury. At this moment, the carbon tax we pay goes to the province, and they've cut us a break in with the provincial gas tax, but they collect the carbon tax. So now that's going to be revenue side money's lost here. But I think the first question and he or someone representing him in his office is probably listening. The first question is why? Why did this have to change? Is there a good answer to that? If there is, then why wasn't it the same approach taken back in 2019 when the province negotiated a bilateral agreement that's on exemption afforded to the people of the province for heating their home? And then there's a little bit of contradiction in, inside a lot of this as well. How much of our electricity that we're consuming, for instance, on this side of the province is produced at Holyrood? So even if I move to heat pumps and electric baseboard heaters, some of the generation of electricity is coming from a fossil fuel at Holyrood. So, I mean, it's just, I really like to know exactly why that is happening. And it's fine we can stack different programs. And it's fine that there's going to be rebate. And some people, of course, will welcome a rebate check coming quarterly into their home. And I'm not even 100% sure how it's calculated, to be honest. You know, let's just say there's four people living in the home. I have two adult sons. How about if all four of us have a vehicle and that neither one of them are electric vehicles? So how are all these moving parts adjudicated to come up with rebate dollars? Or does it even matter? I don't know, but we'll see what kind of, what kind of information we can get from the minister. You'd like to pose a question, I will put it to him on your behalf. There's a couple of good ones already in my email inbox about the time to qualify for these heat pump rebates or upfront monies and whatnot. So anyway, there's also concerns and questions coming from the CFIB, the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses. They say that if you were in a province where Ottawa administered the carbon tax, they committed to returning over $1.6 billion in carbon taxes to businesses in the 2021 fiscal update. At this moment in time, the Vice President, Louis-Philippe Gauthier, says there is no plan to return those funds. He says, in quote, no tax relief, no rebates, no grants, nothing. So we'll see if the minister can give us an update on behalf of small business owners here in this province, whether they will be getting a rebate like the other four provinces that run the federal plan. Okay, you want to talk about that? I'm sure you do. Let's talk about it. All right, whether or not you have any interest in converting from oil to heat pumps or what have you, or if you have any consideration of ever buying an electric vehicle, well, anywhere in the near term, the fact of the matter is there's economic opportunities here in this country because of it. The Federal Innovation Minister, a gentleman named Francois-Philippe Champagne, he's in Asia now talking about this country and the critical minerals we have, that not only for electric vehicle batteries, but also for things like uh, laptops and cell phone batteries. We're the only democratic country on the face of the earth with every one of the minerals required for the 
construction, the manufacturing of these particular batteries. So there's a research firm called Bloomberg NEF. Canada is now number two ranked country in the world for these minerals and just behind anybody, everybody but China. Interesting thing about China, though, is, and we've seen the federal government through the Investment Act uh, enforce China to divest their equity stake in three different companies in the mineral world. So, uh, where's the numbers that I had here? China really does the, the world no justice when it comes to how they benefit with our materials. At this moment in time, China mined 14% of the lithium produced in 2021, but refined 59%. China produced about 4% of the world's nickel last year, but it refined more than two-thirds of it. So we've got to take back some secondary tertiary processing. If we have the minerals, let's see if we can't do a better job in controlling our own destiny. Not having companies here mine it, send it elsewhere for it to be refined, turned into a battery for my laptop, cell phone, or an electric vehicle, and then sell it back to us. If we have it all right here inside our borders, let's do more with it. I think that's the focus of the Federal Minister Champagne's visit to Asia and try to put forward our position where we can be an absolute global leader. And it doesn't matter what you think of electric vehicles. This is about economic opportunity. Canada has announced more than 15 billion investments over the, over the past 10 months, all through the areas of critical mineral mining and all the different processing for the batteries. So we've got a chance to really get out in front of this, and not to mention, as we put to Minister Freeland here, whatever it was a couple of weeks ago, we've got big opportunities in the world of natural gas. Yes, there's nothing perfect, nothing is without any emissions, whether it be mining and or natural gas. We're talking about where the realities lie and how quick anything can tr transition from one source of energy to another. But you want to take it on? Let's do it. Okay, the Newfoundland and Labrador Teachers Association, back in the news, talking about staffing shortages. Man, we seem to be talking an awful lot about staffing shortages, whether it be healthcare or in the province of schools. They talk about it as the three R's and not the reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's recruitment, retention, and resourcing. What do you see in your child's school? You know, my boys are gone all the way through K-12 to at this moment in time, so I don't have a first-hand knowledge of what's happening in one school or another, whether it be the rate of absenteeism and what's driving that, whether it be the staffing shortages that the NLTA say are very, very real, and the, the need to think so-called outside the box with incentives. There are definitely going to be spots in the province, whether it be to attract a healthcare worker and or a teacher or a student assistant, some places are less desirable for some of these professionals. We all know it to be true. And it's not to say that these smaller communities aren't beautiful places with beautiful people. It's just that it might not be on the top of the list for some of these professionals. So they talk about this one type of incentive, student loan forgiveness, if you're willing to take a, a job in one of these hard-to-fill areas. Okay, so that's up for debate or discussion as well. All right, let's move to the federal front for a second. So yesterday... Remember the story, and this is a couple of years ago, where Corey Horan, he drove from Manitoba through the gates of Rideau Hall to confront Prime Minister Trudeau with a handful of firearms. He was going to arrest him. And this is where words are important. He says that because the country has now become led by communists and bankrupt and the rest of it, he went to Rideau Hall all the way from Manitoba to confront the Prime Minister loaded for bear. So the country just sloughed it off, right? Shrugging our shoulders. Well, he's a disgruntled sausage maker. That reference to that man has always irritated me to no end. He's obviously extremely dangerous. So he was sentenced to six years in prison, and now he's been granted day parole. 
So it's not sitting well with Corrections Canada. They say that it's a terrible decision, pretty much. Uh, they say that he has shown limited insight or remorse. There was even the request for some restrictions, like to keep Mr. Hearn away from the Internet, where he got some of the information that drove him to hop in his rig, go to Rideau Hall to arrest the Prime Minister. It's just a wonder that there wasn't more violence that day. So he's out on day parole, which is really quite something. We didn't take that story serious at all, as far as I can remember, here in the country, when in fact it's an extremely serious story. In the world of crime, and I'm in no mood to stoke any worries or fears uh, with the listeners, Stats Canada has some new numbers out regarding crime, and in this case, violent crime, homicides. Okay, a couple of things for context. Up 3% to two homicides per 100,000 people in 2020 to 2.06 per 100,000 in 2021. It's the highest national homicide rate since 2006. But, again, for context, it's relatively rare. The, the homicides account for less than 0.2% of all police reported violent crimes in 2021, and in large part is driven by gang violence. So gang violence represents 23% of these homicides, which goes back to talking about Things like gun control. The federal government has put a variety of measures in to control the numbers of guns. But some of this all really felt like cart before the horse. If we know, and don't take it from me, take it from the Association of Police Chiefs across the country, they say the illegal handgun problem is because of the border. So more heightened focus at the border, we can talk about punishment at all we like, but punishment is after the fact. That's after public safety has been jeopardized. So it's fine to control guns and to impose bans on handguns and what have you, but we've got to do more where the gangsters get their guns is at the border, so say the police chiefs. So that's maybe where the primary focus could and should be. And if you want to talk about the public inquiry being... Uh, uh, being held in Ottawa, it's quite the spectacle. Yesterday was really quite something. Uh, Justice Minister David Lametti will be testifying today. And anything on that front you want to talk about it, we can do it. All right, we're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline at vocm.com. When we come back, we're taking your calls. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's begin on line number one and say good morning to the Liberal Member of Parliament for St. John's South Mount Pearl. He's the Minister of Labour. That's Seamus O'Regan. Good morning, Minister O'Regan. You're on the air. Minister O'Regan, you're on the air. Dave, see potted up? Patty, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Okay. So, come next July, July the 1st yeah. of 2023, the federal carbon backstop will be charged to people in this province versus the current negotiated bilateral agreement which saw exemptions for home heating fuels. First question is, why? Well, the price on pollution uh, is something that's been going on for quite some time. Uh, but in this in several provinces, it will go right back to consumers. In other words, we're trying to get people to products that pollute less, uh, that put less carbon into the atmosphere, cause less climate change. And, you know, we've seen the effects of Port of Basque and, and southwestern Newfoundland, so we know all that. Um, we, at the time, though, we said, look, country's a big place. Different provinces may have different ideas or different priorities. We'll let them decide what they want to do. In every province, wherever the price on pollution is collected, it stays in that province, 100 percent of it. So, you know, if you've got other ideas, sure. At the time, um, the government, the provincial government here said, look, you know, we're financially strapped. We're going to keep that money and put it into general revenue, uh, which they did. 
Um, now, I think the province is in a much better position, um, you know, uh, well, due to a number of factors, due to, you know, its own financial discipline, due to the fact that we got $2.5 billion from the Atlantic Accord and $5.2 billion for rate mediation, amongst other things. They're in a better position. Um, we, right now, are going to take more or less – what we're going to do now is, is take the money. We will collect it, but we're going to collect all the sources, not just home heating oil, all the sources – in which we collect a price on pollution, and we are refunding it back to consumers. Uh, it is something that they will get four times a year starting in July. So they will get it. They should get it just before uh, they get their bill. So it will happen in July. They will receive a check for $328 for a family of four. It, just when they're filling up their tanks in October, they will get another $328. They will get it again in January. They will get it again in April, and they will be able to count on it. And what we're hoping then is because you're always guaranteed to get the check, um, we're hoping that people will make decisions, whether it be on home heating oil or whether it be on, on other sources of carbon, uh, that they'll just make choices that are less polluting because they're going to get the same amount of money. Therefore, where you save money on, on you know, let's say, home heating oil that isn't as energy intensive or isn't as carbon intensive, you'll save money. Um, so this is, this is a way of us attempting to figure out, like, how do we each of us, how do we each of us, try and control the amount of uh, carbon that we're emitting so we can do something about the planet getting so much warmer. Um, but how do you do it in a sensible way that's market-driven, and how do you make sure that consumers don't lose out? So if I could take one last thing before your next question, it's just that, listen, anybody who talks about, you know, this is happening now, or we're heading into a cold winter, blah, blah, that, that is just not the case. It is not the case. This is something that will happen in July, and like I said, Eight out of ten families, eight out of ten people will get that money back, if not more than they pay in. Uh, nine out of ten dollars goes back to consumers, and 100% of it stays within the problems. So $328 every four months, or every three months, I should say, four times a year. 48,000 homes using heating oil here in this province. And if I understand what you just said correctly, given the fact that the province, the government might be in better shape fiscally, but what's the calculation for individuals? Because most of us are not in a better position than we were this time last year, are not in a better position than we were in 2019. So it's one thing to consider the provincial government treasury, quite another to think about my bank account. Right. So these are calculated by the amount of, of carbon tax that is paid out, the price on pollution. Um, so if, if it goes up, then, you know, it, it, this tracks. Uh, so people won't lose out. In other words, the amount that, that you put in is also the amount that you get back. But because you're guaranteed to get that amount back, we're hoping that you'll save more money and you will be able to keep the whole check by looking for sources of energy like on home heating oil uh, that may be better for the environment and better on the pocketbook, uh, you know, namely switching over to electric or where you can switching over to electric heat pumps. Which, of course, is an option for some. But mm -hmm. for most, I would suggest not. Given the threshold cut off for the five th up to $5,000 upfront money, which is helpful as opposed to having to apply for rebate, it's still going to leave some people out. Okay, so you say 8 out of 10. Yeah, and let, me, let me just interject on that point. I agree. You know, we've got more work to do on that. I think that the principle of putting it up front, because I, I, I began this program when I was Minister of Natural Resources, and it was a rebate. And that's a lot harder on the pocketbook, obviously, because you have the money in hand. Um, we, also, we also demanded that there be, you know, somebody who would come in, a qualified assessor who would do the work. And the problem is there was only one or two in the province at the time, and they were backlogged. 
So that didn't work as well for us now. Now we're making the, the access to it much, much easier. The money would come up front. But I agree. Uh, I, think, I think over time what we will do is we will be lowering that threshold. That's the aim. But this is where we are right now. So it will be an entry point for some people. You say 8 out of 10 will be better off, and I think what that means is you'll have more money back than you paid, or 9 out of ten, nine of every $10 will come back is what, how I think it's couched. Yeah. Who are the, who are the, including at the pump, for instance, yes. Okay. So who are the other 2 out of 10? So uh, 2 out of 10 are, are, would be people basically who are in uh, upper income, I would, I would probably best put it. Uh, there are those who I think who can afford to pay more. I, I would say this, look, there, there are some things that we should be taxing more, and I believe we should be taxing pollution. And there are some things that uh, you know, we should be taxing less, and that's people with lower and, and middle incomes. So you know, there, is, there is a sense here that those with uh, more money can perhaps take more of the burden. I mean, the, the amount that's going to be going up in July is roughly three cents a liter at the pump and 17 cents a liter for home heating oil. And that money will be going back guaranteed to 8 out of 10 families. Because we haven't lived it, I'm not sure many people in the province understand exactly how it works. Okay, mm-hmm. so $328 for residents of Newfoundland and Labrador quarterly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I'm, and that was a family of four, I think you said. So if I'm a single senior living in my own home and I cannot afford to make a transition to a baseboard heaters electrically or the heat pumps, how much does that person get? Like, how was it calculated? A family of four is one thing, but there's lots of smaller households out there, you know, empty nesters. How did, what kind of money do they get? Well, again, it would be the amount of money that you would be paying on on uh, on the price on pollution on however way you heat your home, and the money will be automatic. You don't have to apply for it. I think that's something else I really mm-hmm. important to say. It will be deposited uh, in your account. You know, you'll be able to uh, identify it as you know the climate initiative refund, um, and and you'll see it four times a year. We also wanted to make sure it didn't come after the fact which is why we, we are starting uh, refunds in July. Uh, you'll get that money back to you in July, and then after that, you should be getting your bill. So if you get a bill you know, in July, uh, you should, it should recur around the same time to get your bill in August. You've already got the money in the account. So the carbon so tax... You, you would get the money before you would have to pay the bill. So it's all about home heating? Because how do you calculate in how much gasoline or diesel I burn? Because those emissions... Transportation is the biggest contributor if we're talking about you know one sector of the economy. Transportation is it, the number one emitter in the country. So what about gasoline and diesel? Because if we're just calculating how much I spend with my account at Harvey's, for instance, that leaves an awful lot out. So what's the implications of carbon tax on gasoline and diesel when we're talking rebate money? No, I mean, I think that's a fair question, and now we're not in the, you know, we're not going to, it would obviously become too cumbersome or too intrusive that we would, you know, meticulously calculate for each person how much that they were driving or how much that they were using. We are mm-hmm. using averages, um, but those averages we feel should be fairly close. The other thing is I want to emphasize this is not something that's new. This is, uh, this, you know, this program has, has been going on for a number of years in Ontario, in Alberta. Uh, they have similar programs in B.C. and Quebec. Um, but this particular program for Manitoba, for Saskatchewan, for Alberta, for Ontario has been going on for some time. Um, and, you know, people appreciate getting the amount of money back, you know, four times a year guaranteed and in the bank account. Uh, here in this province, to like to say, like I say, it, it encompasses much more than just home heating oil. It would encompass, it would include all, you know, all the areas in which you pay currently the price on pollution, including at the pump. Now all of that is returned to you, where before it was going into the provincial government's general revenue.
Now, to be fair to the provincial government, they've done an awful lot, particularly lately, you know, on, on measures to help with affordability. So it's not like they've been standing back. Um, and, and their commitment on, on climate change, for instance, I mean, Minister Davis just got back from Egypt where he was at COP and the premier was there last year. Very proud of the fact, and I've always touted it across the country, that we're the only legislature in North America to commit to net zero unanimously with all political parties. So, you know, everybody's, everybody's doing their best. I think ultimately this will be a much better plan. This is more money in the pockets of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians than they were ever getting before. And interestingly, at COP27, unlike last year when there was uh, agreements about uh, phasing out coal fire generation, Minister Gibo, representing the country, refused to sign on to agreement to phase out fossil fuels, which is an interesting stance for uh, someone like Mr. Gibo with his track record. Um, or his background. Why is it that New Brunswick, Quebec, well, and, and just Jer- to interject there, it's also just a, a reminder. And I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is, I've said many times on the show, we are the fourth biggest producers of oil and gas in the world. It is our biggest industry in this country. And so, you know, we have to be very, very careful about how we do this, how carefully we do this. But I mean, I'm absolutely driven to do it. But it, but it is a huge, huge issue and a huge challenge for this country. Why are New Brunswick, Quebec, the Northwest Territories, and BC allowed to operate with their own uh, their own plan or program in one territory and three provinces? I wasn't at the negotiating table, Patty, and it was Minister Gibo and his people. But they, whatever, what benchmarks we set for you being able to administer your own program, as far as I know, New Brunswick, for instance, did meet that, that criteria. Um, you know, this is this is uh, often called in bureaucratic circles and uh, the federal backstop, which means this is kind of the default. Uh, we're, you know, there, there can't be an agreement reached between the federal government and the provincial government, then the federal backstop comes into play. That's part of the legislation, you know, upheld by the Supreme Court in a decision about whether or not we were encroaching upon provincial jurisdiction. Um, so, you know, that's more or less how the system works. If, if, uh, if you can't come to an agreement, then this is what comes into play. Uh, let's talk about small business. In the provinces where Ottawa administered the carbon tax, in the 2021 fall fiscal update, the uh, feds were committed to returning $1.62 billion in carbon taxes to these businesses. What's the plan for this province and small business? Um, on small business, uh, let me get back to you on that one. I don't have that information ready. I was dealing mainly with consumers, but that's a very important point. I mean, there is there are there is money that's set aside. Like I said to you, you know, nine out of ten dollars goes back to consumers. Ten percent does go back to programming towards small business. So ten percent goes to small business. Ten percent goes to rural northern communities, for instance. Um, you know, if you live in a so that's kind of the, that's the the ten percent that that is kept goes towards specific programming for small business. I don't have that programming in front of me, but we we are in, we are looking after small business. Ten percent also goes to rural parts of, uh, of of the province, as they are in other provinces right now. Um, so that's where you know that's where that money gets directed. Uh, a very quick question and a very specific one on the stackable programs, which is a point mm-hmm. Minister Hutchings was making yesterday that the up to five thousand dollars can be stacked with other programs. This is uh, a specific question, but I bet you it's more common than th- this one emailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, da, 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 da. I specifically would like to know in my case if someone has been approved for greener homes grant and installs four mini splits within the next couple of weeks, can I still apply for this new five thousand dollar grant after the install is complete? Or should this person postpone until the uh, application portal is open for this new grant money? No, that's a very good question. Um, what's the easiest way? I, I'm sure I'll have somebody who's listening in on this who, who's already furiously taken down notes. 
Um, I'll get back in touch with you, Patty, and you can get them a direct answer. Okay, so the small business answer on that one, I'd really appreciate getting back to yeah, my listeners on yeah, those. Yeah, no problem. Okay. That's a very good question. So price on pollution. I don't think anyone is pro-pollution. Oh, let me just interject just to say, listen, uh, point of principle, wherever we can stack, we will. Like, you know, I don't want, oh, well, you got that, so you deduct this. Uh, we have been working very closely with the province on this, so wherever it can be stackable, will be stackable. But I want to make sure I get you an accurate answer. Sorry, go ahead. No one is pro-pollution, right? I mean, so let's get that out, out of the way. But how do we measure whether or not this is working? I mean, I know former Prime Minister Harper was pro-carbon tax. Carbon tax won mm-hmm. a Nobel Prize for a group of economists. But how do we measure whether or not it's working? Because emissions are not coming down. I know some of that is uh, includes the uptick in the number of people who live in the country. But how do we measure how effective this is? Well, I mean, look, you could grade it a bunch of ways. This is a country that right now I think we're hitting up to 38 million. It's grown, you know, hugely in, the, in, the, in my lifetime. I remember, I think, at a time where I thought it was 24 or 25 million. Maybe I was in school, but, you know, a population's exploding and there, you know, there's still tremendous economic activity. And all of these things obviously cause carbon into the atmosphere. So would it, is it growing as fast as it would have? Um, we're trying to figure out ways where, you know, you got major polluters, but a lot of it is just, you know, all the cars on the road, all the things that we do, all the normal things that we do, and frankly, some of the other things that we enjoy. Um, we've desperately been trying to figure out uh, before we got into government and since we've been in government, well, how do you, how do you find a way where you can, you can, you know, in, in, provide incentive for people to do things where they would save money, but they would also significantly cut back on the greenhouse gases uh, that's going into the atmosphere, changing the weather and changing the planet. How, how do you do that? It's not easy. Um, different countries are going about it in different ways. Economists, in, in, in terms of theory, but, you know, uh, almost, you know, I mean, not unanimously, but certainly most credible ones, think that any way that you can affect individual consumer behavior is probably the way to go. But you don't want to be just going around taxing people. So uh, how, do you, how do you find a way to do it? We, we thought that, okay, what if you refund all the money to people, but, you know, in such a, in such a way that most people don't lose out, you do that more or less based on an average, um, but then if they decide to do something like switch from home heating oil to electric, they they get more even more money back in their pocketbook because they're going to be saving on their electric bill, but they're still getting that average. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a soundbite answer, um, but when you know when I sit down, I'm unable to I'm thankfully thankfully able to get on a program like this and you know attempt to start to explain this. You know, for some people, it does make sense. And they, okay, I get it. I mean, you're getting the average back, but obviously, if I'm paying less for this, choosing that, I'll be able to have more in my pocketbook. Um, I think ultimately, you know, we are, we will be grading this and we will be gauging it. Um, but it's important that we do something now. I mean, we can't sit on our arses and hope for the perfect solution and then it may come down from the heavens. You know, this is happening now. It's affecting our province now. It's affecting our fishermen now. And on that note, by the way, I should also add, and all of this, fishermen are exempt. That was something that when we negotiated with the prairie provinces, uh, they asked for an exemption uh, on the price on pollution for farmers. We uh, asked for the same for fishermen, and that's exactly what's happened. So okay. for any any diesel oil that fishermen are using for fishing, um, then that's exempt. And, of course, you know, we're talking about behavior. It's easy enough for me to adjust the size of vehicle I drive, how much I drive, whether I carpool and stuff. But behavioral changes are not really possible for so many people in this province who heat their home by oil. I mean, you you can't change the behavior of whether or not you're cold. Um, 
Last one, or maybe not very last. How come no incentives for people to move, not only to, say, electric baseboard heaters or the heat pumps, but onto propane and other alternatives, which are cleaner than burning home oil, home heating fuels as we know it? Um, on propane, I don't have a ready answer. I mean, I know that you know there are still significant uh, emissions that come from propane. Um, I, what we are interested in is people switching over to electric. So, you know, just to be clear, in the province, about 15% of households uh, are home heating oil. About 60% are electric. So, you know, we are blessed in the province with an abundance of, of good, stably priced electricity. Yeah. Uh, so for most people, you know, we're very fortunate for that. This, right now, when we talk about home heating oil and, and how much it goes up and how much it goes down and the market variance on it, and that's what really throws people. Is, you know, you're doing a household budget and all of a sudden you get whacked because this comes at you. That's about 15% of households. And even though some of my electricity comes from Holyrood, which it sounds good to say that I'm using electricity in my home to heat the home, yeah, but when no, it's no, produced no. at Holyrood, it comes with a bit of a flaw. Are the greener That's home true. grants... And please, God, at some point, you know, when muskrat does come online and we're able to decommission Holyrood, we'll be, in terms of emissions, in a much better place. But I think we do have the fundamentals right. Are the greener home grants available to uh, not-for-profits? Uh, not-for-profits. Um, uh, let me get back to you. Okay, last one. When are the 10 sick days coming for federal employees and federally regulated industries? December 1. December 1. Appreciate the time this morning, Minister. All right. Thanks, Patty. Take care. Bye-bye. That's the Minister of Labor, Seamus O'Regan. You want to comment to what you heard, you know what to do. Don't go away. Save the date. VOCM's dial carol Sunday, November 27th, 1 to 6 p.m. on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let us go. Line number two, Peter, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. I just wanted to uh, talk about uh, what I just heard with uh, Seamus there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, listening to what he said, it just uh, tells me that, um, you know, the guy is pretty out of touch uh, with uh, what the, the basic person is has to deal with uh, with regards to uh, living with uh, the inflation that we're going through right now. Um, I'm a single man. I live by myself, um, make an average salary, but I live paycheck to paycheck. A uh, year ago, a little over a year ago, but right, right, right now I'm paying about $35 a week more for gas than it was a little over a year ago. I'm paying approximately $30 more per week in groceries for a grand total of about $3,400 a year more. But I'm not making any more on my salary every year. So, uh, you know, this is something that people like Seamus O'Regan and the rest of the people in, in government don't have to deal with. They make a very good salary. All this stuff means nothing to them. If, if gas goes up, it means nothing to them. If food goes up, it means nothing to them. All right? And they're living off our... our uh, taxpayer dollars, and they're just not in tune with what's going on. Um, I'm going to tell you, it's been pretty difficult. And in order for me to to live, I've had to cut back. So one thing that I've done is I've cut back. I don't eat lunch anymore because I can't afford to. All right. Now I'm a I'm a uh, you know <laughs> a man is not not poor, but I can't afford to. It's either I drive my vehicle which I need to drive my vehicle more than I need to eat lunch. And that's a fact. Okay. 
Um, and I'm going to tell you, this $500, hey, that's great. This $500 that we're going to be getting, I haven't got it, got it yet. That's, going to, that's fine. That's great. But it's not near what I'm paying extra every year. And it's really not going to help me that much. Um, you know... Uh, I do wonder what the province's role is in some of these cost of living issues. I mean, there's a political calculation about these $500 because, you know, the middle class, whoever they are, have felt left out of a lot of government supports throughout the pandemic, you know, didn't qualify for a lot of things that were in play. So, you know, $125,000 is a pretty good salary in this province, I would suggest. So they're going to get a check. $100,000 is a pretty good salary in this province, yeah. and they'll get up to they'll get the $500. So there's a political calculation here. But when we have so many global inputs, which we do, if we're all being honest with ourselves about what's actually going on, I wonder what the province could and should be doing versus what the federal government could and should be doing, because they play a much bigger role uh, in global affairs than this province does. Even if we talk about exporting our, our fish and minerals and oil and stuff, it's still, that's just industry. That's not governmental affairs. So I even wonder what the province could and should be doing, period. Yeah, well, I mean, I look at this carbon tax, and the car- carbon tax, in my mind, is not a tax. It's a fine. We're being fined for polluting the atmosphere. Let's be real about what this, this is. It's a fine. It's not a tax. In my, that's just my opinion. Okay? Uh, we're basically, from what I can tell uh, now, the government is basically fining us for polluting the atmosphere. Um, they are basically causing a lot of people like myself to go bankrupt uh, doing so. Uh, but we're basically financing their plans for a greener environment, blah, blah, blah. And then they're going to pay us back some of it. We don't know how much they're going to pay back, but I mean, I'm going to tell you from, from, from the amounts that he was saying, okay, we're going to, I'm a single man, we're probably going to get 200 something bucks every three months. That's, that's nothing. That's a joke. And to try and tell me that we're going to get more back than we're paying in, that's also a joke. Okay. I mean, you know, and then, you know, Seamus also said that, okay, now that Newfoundland is in a better financial situation than, than we were back when we uh, made our own plan. That's nonsense. I mean, I mean, how in the world do you figure that? I can guarantee you that I'm much worse off now than I was a year ago. I know I am. Um, right? And I, that was the you second know? question I asked him. I said, what's the individual calculation versus what the province's fiscal situation is? Because they're two distinctly different things and two distinctly exactly. different worries that people have. Let me, for the purpose of conversation, Peter... You know, the economic uh, concerns individuals have, I totally get it, and I tried to cover as much ground as I could with the minister. But there's also a price to pay for continuing to pollute at the levels we are. So I get market point pressure, which has very much been a conservative political ideology, hasn't it? So I get trying to make the place cleaner, I guess which led me to my question to ask him, how do we measure whether or not this is working? Because Exactly, and I, and I don't think it is. You know, and I get it too. I, I, I know, I know we, we need to get a little greener. I know there's we such do. a thing as climate change, but I don't know why we need to be rushing into it when we're in a recession. <laughs> like, why are we uh, causing people so much financial strife to achieve these unattainable goals? And let's face it, this government has not attained one goal that they've set since, since they've been in power. And now they're putting it on the backs of, our, uh, of us, of the taxpayers, to pay off for their unattainable goals that they've set for themselves already. They're not going to attain those. You're, we're looking at a country, at Canada, okay? Uh, Canada contributes approximately 2.5% of the world's carbon emissions, okay? And of that 2.5%, 
uh, like their basic thing is say, oh, go out and get an electric car, blah, 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 blah. But let's, uh, the facts show that one, only 1.5% of that 2.5% is direct, directly related to vehicles. And so, well, I guess it's know, in combinations where the number is important. And per capita, we punch way above our weight and have pretty sizable emissions. The issue there for me is why things like the Paris Summit are the only way we can make a difference here. Because I don't think we're ever going to arm wrestle the Chinese to the ground to play along. There's definitely uh, international uh, collaboration required to make any, any chink in the emissions that are. Well, we see the results of what what goes on here, and I don't even feel like getting into a debates about whether or not ca- climate change is real because it just is. I mean, people can deny it all they like, but I'll give you the last word, Peter, because I've got to try to get back on my break schedule because I obliterated it with the minister. Oh, okay, but well, the last word is is number one. Unless China and some of the bigger emitters, emitters get on board, all of this is just an exercise in futility. Anyway, it's not going to make a big difference. So, you know, our our government, which is definitely out of touch, they really are not in touch with the the normal human being. Uh, they really need to really think about uh, put themselves in our place. Try to think of how all of this is affecting us. And I'm going to tell you, once they, this carbon tax comes in, I mean, you, you know, you just look at they, they put this thing for the $500 rebate on the on the heat pumps. Well, if you look at that, I looked at it this morning. Most, most, there's very few people are going to going to even qualify for that. And then you know how much it costs to t- to take out an oil uh, uh, tank from your house? It's a fortune. And, and, and $5,000 is a drop, drop in the bucket to convert your house from oil to a heat pump. I guarantee you that. And a lot of the people uh, that qualify for that don't have that extra money. I'll guarantee you that, too, to do this. And, and so all of this is just a load of nonsense. As far as I'm concerned, it, it's just, you know, as usual, Seamus is, is, is Trudeau's biggest cheerleader coming on here trying to tell everybody this is going to be great. And, you know, it's a great day for Newfoundland, just like he did with, with uh, Muskrat Falls. It's all nonsense. And, and, and really, people really need to wake up in Newfoundland and realize that this government is not doing anything for them. Appreciate really the time. Thanks, Peter. All right. Thank Take you. Care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, you know, regarding questions asked to the minister about a single senior, how much they get in rebate, what have you. What I have done is, I'm putting, well, I haven't done, I'm putting together an email for the Department of Finance to get an absolutely comprehensive breakdown as to how this is applied and any exemptions available, like including the fishery, which the minister said they will be exempt from this federal carbon tax. So the questions about individual seniors and all those different ones, I'm hoping to get that information so I can uh, deliver to you ASAP. Breakdown, don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Judy's in the queue. I don't want to shortchange her because we're nudging up against the uh, 10 o'clock news time. But if there's something that, whether it be on the heat pump grant or the federal carbon tax, I mean, we tried to cover as much ground as we could with Minister O'Regan. If there are specifics that you'd like to see as or get try to get answers to, if you just send me an email, like I mentioned before the break, I'm going to try my level best to get a detailed breakdown about who gets the rebate. And I know you don't have to apply for it, but who? Whether it be the question about a single senior living in their own home using uh, home heating fuels. We'll get it for you. They're going to have to oblige and give us the breakdown. I mean, because it's just straight up math. Because now the policy has already been discussed. And if there's something that we didn't get to that you want to hear more about, just send me an email. It's openlinefeocm.com. Drop me a note on Twitter. Because obviously the conversation is not over. And... I'm happy to try to do as much as we can, importantly. And I try to make this point uh, frequently on the show. 
I get the sense that it is going to be the conversation today, carbon tax, and I'm fine with that. But remember, anything is a, a go here on the program. So don't feel like if you don't have carbon tax concerns and you want to talk about what's happening in schools or in healthcare or in any industry or in your community, do it. Because we don't have to be uh, committed to one or two topics a day. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And we can do it right after this news break. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the show. Let us go. Line number four, Judy, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm, I'm calling, uh, first time caller. Welcome. Um, I'm calling regarding the Canada Greener Home uh, grant program for replacing oil to whatever you choose. And uh, I just want to relate my experience with that because I think it's a flawed program. Um, I purchased a downsized a home and I purchased a smaller home here in rural Newfoundland. And it had, like most homes in this community, oil heat. Um, initially, I, I uh, contacted the Canada Greener Homes people via the website and was referred to various contractors in this area who could provide that service for me by giving me a quote, et cetera. And what I would have to do to remove the oil and and put in, I chose a mini split and electric heat. Um, This was just in the summer past. Um, So I, like any prudent consumer, uh, had three quotes. I had two quotes from... Uh, people who were certified government installers or approved by the program as installers, and one quote from somebody who wasn't certified by the government or recommended by the government on the website. And um, this individual had a company, uh, was a certified journey person electrician and an HVAC technician, so was more than qualified insurance purposes for installing any mini split or heat pump that I would have required. Uh, When I received the quotes back, the um, contractors that had been recommended to me by the program uh, were between seven and eight thousand dollars for one mini split to install, not to remove the oil, just to install the mini split. It would have been another uh, four to five thousand to remove the oil. The Certified journey person and HVAC tech uh, got back to me in short order. Uh, One mini split uh, heat pump or whatever you want to call it, uh, installed, tax included, was $2,995. So my initial frustration with this grant uh, was that the installers that were recommended and certified by the Greener Homes program were more than double what any private individual could provide for me by installing. So I, I didn't bother to apply for the Canada Greener Homes grant because okay. it would have, any, any money that I would have received back in a grant, I would have had to play to the installer. So my question is to the minister uh, is who does the quality control and quality assessment of the contractors so that they're not gouging the consumer. Excellent question. Just for a little bit of info for folks who may not have heard about or talked about the Greener Homes Initiative, so the grants are available up to $5,000, and there's lots of variables inside it as well. It's a bit of a confusing program. 
Interest-free loans are also associated with this, $5,000 to $40,000 over the course of 10 years, interest-free. So there's lots of information out there, but the eligibility issue is also a little bit confusing for many people. And then, to your point, to try to weigh out who's an accredited uh, retailer, installer, and who's got the oversight in place to make sure that they're not making off like bandits when we're all trying to save a few bucks, that's a good question, Judy. I have no idea what the answer is, though. No, the the reality is the the answer doesn't exist within the Canada Greener Homes program. Uh, as an educated person, I uh, you know went through the various channels of government to try and find out why it would, how could it possibly cost me m- double money for the same product. Uh, when it came to removing my oil furnace, as a person who respects my environment, uh, that was a first priority when I bought this property that I live in now was to remove the oil and. Um, you know, it was it was almost hilarious to me, like, you know, how flawed the program was. Number one, I had to provide uh, receipts of up to X number of uh, liters of uh, oil heating uh, fuel for the past year. I just purchased the house in June. So I had no records, right? I had no records of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a past use of oil. It was the only source of heat in this house. And you know, it was uh, obviously <laughs> it was obviously heated with oil. Uh, the vendor who sold the home was no longer in the province, so I couldn't even get. And you can't anyway with confidentiality laws log in or ask a uh, oil company how much you know such and such person was paying for oil. Uh, you know, previous to my ownership, which I tried, but <laughs> I couldn't get the uh, I couldn't get any information whatsoever. So to me, it's a flawed program. Uh, you know, if I ended up taking it all out myself and paying somebody to remove the uh, oil uh, tank, which was still certified, so I could, you know, transfer it to somebody who was in need of that. And, uh, you know, the rest ended up being disposed of in the environmental way that's uh, recommended on the on the website. But to me, uh, you know, it, it's great to have these grants, uh, but if nobody can access the grant, then what's the point of the grant? Mm-hmm. And the same with the carbon tax. If I'm going to receive more than I'm ever going to pay, why would there be a tax? You know, uh, I mean, I know the 2%. Just, well, let's put a line on the income tax for the 2%. You know, uh, why do we need to tax everybody and then give it all back? It seems redundant to me as a as a consumer and a taxpayer. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I mean, how much would it encourage people to change behaviors and how and where they drive and the type of vehicle and how they heat their home if people are going to rely on the fact that we're going to get a check back? So that's a fair point. It's a point, a question that I've asked of federal representatives many times during the infancy of the carbon tax as it was first brought forward by the federal liberals. Uh, I appreciate the time, Judy. Good question on the installers. I'll see if I can get some more uh, clarification as to why that's not in place. But I appreciate the time as a first-time caller this morning. Anything else you'd like to say? No, thank you. That's it. Appreciate your time. All right. Have a good day. You too, Judy. Bye-bye. Uh, let's go. Line number two. Gary, you're on the air. Hello? Hello. Yes, sir. How are you this morning? Top shelf. You? Good. Uh, Patty, I'm calling about um, a check I received yesterday. Uh, by the way, I'm a first-time caller. I really enjoy your show. Terrific. Thanks, Gary. Um I, I received yesterday a cost-of-living relief check in the mail to my address, and it's in my mom's name. Now, my mom lives uh, 15 kilometers away, and she never lived at this address, never did. And the bigger problem is my mom died in February 2021, which is 21 months ago. <laughs> uh, except for the obvious thing, I guess, send a check back. Uh, any advice what to do with the check, or how to get my address, or 
Uh, it's an excellent question. Now, I've got a number here that you can call about this. Uh, I had it right in front of me. There's You can send them an email to the tax administration group at the provincial government. Right. And there's also a toll-free number. I'm trying to find it as quick as I can. Uh, that, that, uh, I should have I known that some of these questions were coming in <laughs> and uh, flagged this particular email. Uh, let's see here. I'm coming up to the break. Can I find this email? I'll put you on hold, and then uh, Dave will give you the number as soon as I can scrape it up out of my absolutely flooded email inbox. How does that sound? Yeah, that's good. Uh, do you have any opinion on like what would happen there? Like uh, she died 21 months ago and came to my address, and she never did live with me. I didn't make her taxes out in uh, in that year. I never did make out uh, her her federal her taxes. So, like, uh, how come the check come to my address? Someone's not really doing their homework, I don't think. Well, absolutely not. If that's uh, uh, the wrong person who absolutely, who happens to be deceased, my condolences on that for okay. starters. But, yeah, that's a mistake that should not happen. I would not try to do anything with that check other than send it back. Okay. But, but I'd give them the heads up that you have that check so they can uh, do something about it on their end as well, maybe update their records yeah. for one. Boy, I tell you what, just when I need that number, is nowhere to be found. I'm going to put you on hold. I'll get it to Dave uh, in a yeah. few minutes, and he'll give it to you, okay? One more thing. Sure, uh, I'm, I'm willing to bet uh, if I deposit that in my account, I'd say would nothing be heard of it ever any anymore. There would be no one checking on it. Because quite obviously, they didn't do their homework now, send me a check in my mom's name who deceased uh, 21 months ago. Yeah, that's right. But, of course, as an honest man, you're not going to take any chances. No, cause I, I'm not, no. Okay, so Dave says he just sent it to my inbox, so I'm going to be able to give it to you here live. So here we go. And the number is not in my... Here it is. Okay, got a pen? Yes. Okay, the Tax Administration Division is at 1-877-729-72963-76. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Gary. Good luck. Okay, thank you. All right, there we go. Thanks for that, David. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're talking fisheries science. We're going to talk about green hydrogen, carbon tax, and whatever you want to talk about. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two, or line number three. Ryan, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. Do you and your listeners, thanks for taking the call. Happy and I'd like to switch, switch things up a bit, if you don't mind. Not at all. Uh, I'm calling, Patty, um, this morning about the state of federal fishery science in this province, which, to be absolutely frank, I see as a complete disgrace. A national and international embarrassment, I don't know how else to put it, for the third straight year, we won't have a complete fall scientific survey. For the information of your listeners, those offshore surveys don't target any particular species, Patty. DFO measures, they record everything captured in a trawl, and information from those surveys are used in stock assessments for northern cod, for snow crab, for shrimp, for other species. We have commercial species worth hundreds of millions of dollars a year, Patty, and DFO's finger is not on the scientific pulse. For the third straight year, no offshore fall survey. We've had problems with the spring surveys. There are two, two surveys done in the run of the year, and the state of the science is absolutely not cutting it, Patty. Well, I mean, the absence of science, uh, you, you, when you start to say the science in the province, uh, I was just thinking to myself, what science? We haven't done any this year. We had a fellow on, uh, Dr. I think he's now Dr. Rangeley from Oceana, Canada, using some of their data. Kind of bleak numbers out there. So when you add in what his, his research outfit did, you know, like 17% of the 194 fish stocks assessed were in the critical zone, might be nice to have some modern-day, uh, up-to-date science in this province because the impact is obvious. 
Patty, people have to put this in perspective, right? It was only in December 2020, that was two years ago, 28 years after Northern Cod moratorium was handed down, that DFO announced a rebuilding plan for Northern Cod. Sure, sure, Patty, we haven't had a complete offshore survey since then. How can you have a rebuilding plan when the science isn't complete? DFO's assessment this year of the South Coast Cod stock, that's known to your listeners as 3PS Cod, that's not even going ahead this year, Patty. And it was only in March last year, 2021, that the feds floated the idea of a moratorium. Then you had Morley Knight, who's well-known uh, on wharfs right around this province as a former assistant deputy minister of fisheries in Ottawa. He was also a regional director for Newfoundland and Labrador. He came out and said that uh, scientific advice is is not cutting it in terms of fisheries management. In other words, management decisions, the good, the management decisions, the proper decisions can't be made because the scientific advice is not there. And, and one last thing, Patty, the, the four things I want people to add up. Back in January of last year, the union of this year, the union representing DFO scientists said that the work is undermined by industry and political interference. So if you add all of that up together, offshore surveys not being done, rebuilding plans thrown off course and schedule, Morley Knight's warning that science is not cutting it, and the warning from the union representing DFO scientists that the work is undermined, that adds up, Patty, to a red alert. The, the last thing I'll say is it was good to hear on VOCM News that Premier Andrew Fury is taking a stand for the province in terms of carbon tax, and it was good to hear Seamus O'Regan explain himself and, and I think you hammered him, uh, hammered good questions at him. But from my perspective, um, when it comes to DFO science, when, when it comes to demanding more, our government, Premier Fury, they have got to demand that the federal government uh, deliver better science. This has got to be a, a priority for the province of demanding more in terms of science from the feds because it's not being done. Well, and you know, to... Look, I know there's maybe some issues with supply chain stuff with the aging vessels and replacement parts, but that big interruption was pretty much in 2020, you know. So here we are. I don't know exactly why the cabinet is unable to do some of this science work. If we're simply relying on the Sentinel fishery for the only bit of data compiled this year, then obviously there's going to be some uh, flying blind decisions made with total allowable catches next year. Uh, and good point, Pay. I understand there's a problem with old coast car, old coast guard ships like the Telios and the Alfred Needler, with them breaking down all kinds of problems in terms of replacement parts. You also have a problem with bringing in new ships like the John Cabot. But these issues should should have been expected or anticipated and dealt with, but but they weren't. I'll end it off on this, Patty. John, the late John Crosby said that the greatest failure of Confederation was the lack of a national energy policy. We didn't have a policy to wield uh, electricity from the upper Churchill across Quebec. I personally say the greatest failure of Confederation has to do with the management of their fisheries. We have to demand better. It's not working great now. That's for sure, Ryan. Appreciate the time this morning. Thank you, Patty. Take care. Bye-bye. What am I doing here, David? I haven't really been monitoring the, uh, the lines. Which one do you want me to take? Here we go. I'll just take whichever one I like, I suppose. Line number two, fine. Let's go. Line number two, Ray, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Ray. It's Wayne. It's Patty, but... Oh, I'm sorry. I had Ray on my screen. You say Wayne? Wayne, yeah, but that's okay. It makes no difference. So, look, oh. I'm a first-time caller, okay. and I've been listening to your show there this morning with Ray with Seamus Reagan on there. Now, I'm a, a senior on a pension, 
And I built my home uh, back in the 70s, and uh, it was installed with oil, oil furnace, and I had a 100-amp service. And for me to go ahead and try to put in a 200-amp service into my home right now for a heat pump or stuff like that would cost a fortune, and I can't afford that. Mm -hmm. But what I'd done... What I'd done just to help out, and no one helped me, no, no one gave me any support, I took my domestic water off my furnace, and I purchased a hot water tank, and in other words, all the domestic water for your washing and showering and stuff like that came from my oil tank, my hot water tank that I installed, and I had to get a plumber in to make a few changes, and stuff like that. Now, the thing about it is, if I could go ahead and get some kind of help, I could probably get a mini split to put in my home to heat a good part of my home, and it would cut down the the amount of oil that I'm using for my furnace. You know what I mean? I wouldn't use it near as much because my furnace wouldn't be kicking in because of the heat pumps. And another big thing, too, uh, Patty, uh, concerning this, that when we have a power outage and stuff like that, I, I've been uh, confronted with a, a situation at times, not very often, but at times, where we lose the power. And I got a small generator that I go out and I hook up to my furnace. And when in a power outage, I got heat in my house to keep things warm. And I use a few batteries and a few lamps that there to keep, you know what I mean, a bit of light on the situation and stuff like that. So for me... I can't get no help. No one is going to bother with me, and you know what I mean? Uh, if I went in and applied for a mini-split, I got to take out my oil tank or my furnace and foodie stuff like that that I can't do, can't afford to do, and still no one says, okay, he's trying to to cut down on the amount of oil he's using. So where do I get any support? Who, who's helping me? And I'm a senior and, and, and uh, looking for uh, trying to help I'm trying to help. I've done this on my own. No one helped me to try to reduce the amount of oil, but I did it on my own. But is the government going to help me to try to help, you know, make it better so I won't use as much oil for my furnace? So I just wanted to know, you know what I mean, if there's anything for us people out there. Well, you know what I'm going to do here is because there's a lot of different moving parts and there's some complications and confusion around some of the programs that may or may not be available to people in your circumstance, I'm going to give you a number that I want you to call because they'll walk you through whatever help is out there and they have the product and the certified installers. Would you like that number? Just one second. Yes, I will, but one second. Now i got to get it. A... That's no problem. Can you get a pen there, Rex? Yeah. Go ahead, Patty. she got a pen. Okay, it's uh, 727... 727-26-80. Yeah, that's our friends at Coal Air Contracting. They'll walk you right through the entire thing. Many people that have put on to them had great success. Okay, Patty, thank you very much. At least I got someone I can talk to and see if something is available. Absolutely. Good luck with it. Thank you. Okay, Wayne. Very much. All right, bye-bye. Uh, so, oh, there's uh, Greg Smith sitting in for Mr. Williams for a minute. Let's see if we can take a break on time now that my boss is there gawking at me through the window. Uh, when we come back, Barry Porter's there to talk about an upcoming book reading. Uh, Dave, who I've been exchanging notes with on Twitter, is going to talk about what he sees to be the economic upsides of green hydrogen and maybe has some advice about uh, uh, mini splits and HVAC systems considering he worked in the industry. And Pleman Forsey, he's the PC member for exploits. He wants to talk about the carbon tax issue. Don't go away. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at 
at noon. Welcome back to the program. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to line number five. Barry Porter, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Morning to you. How are you doing this morning? Excellent. Thanks, Barry. How about you? Oh, good. good. Um, I uh, I just want to put a plug. Uh, I'm the author of uh, Adventures of a Lightkeeper. Uh, Flank of Press published it there this summer. And uh, tonight I'm doing a book reading and signing at the Looseport Memorial Library. Downtown Porterville. Down, down, I'm from downtown, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful downtown Porterville. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Side street of uh, Looseport, yeah. Okay, so I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but a joke. So where exactly are you doing the reading tonight, Barry? I, I, at the Loose, at the Looseport Memorial Public Library from 6.30 to 7.30 tonight. I'm doing a reading and a chat and a little question and answers session, uh, doing some book signings and uh, a few sales as well if uh, anybody want to pick up a Christmas gift. But, Barry, uh, wet our whistle. Give us one of the tales that people would be able to find inside the cover. The covers. The whistle. Well, there's a lot of tales. Uh, one that people are quite interested in is a is a 65 foot uh, longliner that came in came into the Bay of Exploits uh, midnight one night. Uh, totally lost. They called us on the radio. They were scared to death. They were thought they were going to uh, crash into the cliffs. Totally disoriented. And my, my partner and I uh, went out on the rocks with a portable radio. <clears throat> they were two miles west of the lighthouse. Uh, big, big sea on this November uh, mid-90s. And uh, I don't know what was wrong with them or how mixed up they were or what was going on, but they were uh, <clears throat> they were uh, scared to death and uh, uh, totally mixed up. And we radioed them and talked to them, calmed them down. And with the aid of our spotlight and our radios, we got them across the run under the lighthouse and talked to them, walked them in, in the cross uh, by the side of the island, guided them, guided them safely in, in the, around the island into the harbour's mouth, and they, uh, they spent overnight into Exploits Harbour. And uh, the strange thing about this, uh, uh, they wouldn't talk to the, the official Coast Guard radio station because uh, they heard the commotion on the radio, and uh, they refused to talk to the Comfort Cove Coast Guard radio uh, operator, but they would talk to the lightkeeper. And uh, anyhow... Uh, after several hours, we got him uh, safely into uh, Exploits Harbor, and he tied up for the night. And uh, the next morning, my uh, co-worker, uh, uh, he walked in the harbor, just going to meet meet the folks and see, you know, what had, had they're doing and where where they're headed to, because they were really foggy on their uh, details. And uh, when my buddy went in uh, the next morning, like seven o'clock, eight o'clock the next morning, the boat, the sixty-five foot boat, was gone. <clears throat> And not they didn't even untie the ropes. They left in such a hurry. They chopped the ropes, left the ropes, the bow, the bow line, and the stern line was still sitting on the wharf. Uh, so they just cut the ropes with the hacks and got out of uh, got out of Dodge City. And uh, I call it the mysterious, the mystery boat, right? I love it. That should be enough to get some bums in the seats of the Lewisport Library this evening, Barry. Good luck with it. Okay, thank you very much, Patty. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. It's author Barry Porter. Uh, line number one, the PC member for exploits is Pleeman Forsey. He's on one. Pleeman, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Good morning, Patty. I wanted to uh, talk about carbon tax this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the high cost of living, you know, this just uh, drives pricing issues uh, way out of control. I'm, I'm hearing still, Patty, from seniors and families, and this includes uh, working uh, families, Patty. You know, they're being forced into unpredictable circumstances. You know, uh, food banks have been raising the alarms. 
of food shortages because people, you know, they just can't get the basic need right now of food and more people reaching out to the food banks. So this uh, home eating, uh, the carbon tax on home eating fuel will now leave people basically out in the cold without food, buddy. What do you say to the pitch being made by the federal liberals, in particular Minister O'Regan on the program this morning, saying that nine out of every $10 they spend on carbon tax, they'll get it back in the form of a quarterly, quarterly rebate check? Well, we'll have to see how that's implemented out, Patty. You know, it's, just, it's like the carbon tax itself when it came in. You know, they just uh, obviously didn't do didn't do any uh, any uh, adjustments to it. Uh, and as for the uh, provincial liberals, um, you know, uh, back in uh, April of this year, you know, we uh, we debated the carbon tax in the House of Assembly, and uh, they, uh, uh, the liberals and the NDP, you know, stood up and voted for the carbon tax. And uh, now the premier, you know. Uh, Took them until September to write a letter to the feds to uh, to you know in, uh, you know to uh, to to see what what they can do now for uh, for the carbon taxes. A little little too late. I, I don't know what appropriate timing would be, but it seems to me that all three parties here and the independents here. I don't know if anyone is in favor of the current provincial carbon tax as it is as it stands. But I think everybody inside that uh, House of Assembly is opposed to the federal implementation come July the 1st next year, if, if I read the tea leaves and hear people properly. Well, you know, this, uh, you know, you know this, people just can't afford this tax right now, Patty, and you know, we all have to get together and, and, uh, and make our, our discuss known about the carbon tax. And, uh, you know, we've got to alleviate this from, uh, from our tables, from, from people, especially for the heating fuels. I'm, all, I'm getting, you know, I've heard from farmers this year, you know, they just made... Uh, uh, minimal margins, and now and now this price going on uh, on their fuels again. You know, just drives just drives food prices uh, way too expensive. I wonder. I'm still trying to figure out some exemptions that are in play. For instance, the negotiated exemptions out in the prairies was farmers would not pay the carbon tax. I can't see a reason why that wouldn't be offered to farmers in this province. It's the same issue. Growing a potato here is the same as growing one in Alberta. So I suppose that's coming. The fishery will be exempt. The impact it might have on the grocery store shelves, not really sure. Uh, and, you know, because we didn't live it, I'm, I suppose I'm going to have to look around in the four provinces that were already on the federally managed uh, carbon tax to see exactly what the outcomes were, how were the exemptions were, and whether or not they were there from the onset. So there's still a lot of information I'm trying to collect. Well, there's still a lot of information to get, Patty. Uh, you know, in regards to farmers themselves, you know, we don't know if Newfoundland, uh, Newfoundland, Labrador will will be exempt from that carbon tax for farmers, but we certainly hope it does, and we certainly hope that they, you know, come back and change their minds and drop it all together because this carbon tax now. Uh, with the, again, you know, with the high cost of living, you know, people just can't afford petty to make ends meet. Uh, I'm hearing it every day. People are concerned about it, and uh, this this is big. This is creating big problems. I appreciate the time. I, I'm going to stick with this and try to get as many of these specific questions uh, answered by the Department of Finance ASAP. So this is on the list regarding farmers and a variety of other uh, factors that we were unable to get answers to or did not ask this morning. So we'll, we'll keep trying. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate the time, Pleeman. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Pleeman Forsey, the PC member for Exploits. Let's go. Line number six. Good morning, Dave. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Patty. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you on. Uh, good show this morning. Um, got uh, to say right now, I apologize. I never met a tangent I didn't like, so you got to keep me on track here. No sweat there. But uh, yeah, I guess I'm going to be. I haven't heard a lot of people calling in to say, 
yay hydrogen. Uh, there's been a lot of skepticism calling in, a basic hesitancy about the proposal over on port to port um, I'm going to say this, my own background, I'm a full-on hydrogen bug. You won't meet someone who's a, a bigger fan of this. Uh, for the last decade, I've actually even put muskrat balls. The only real way that you can look at that as being a benefit is if you look at it in terms of a future hydrogen economy, in which case it can be. And the fact that this is developing all so fast in the back of you know. I was talking about this kind of proposal 10 years ago. I was kind of hoping maybe by 2050. Here we have, I think, largely because of COVID and some of the uh, uh, immediate shocks, uh, we've had an acceleration on the resource front because there's a lot of reasons for this. This is not just a matter of, you know, uh, uh, local reasons. There's geopolitics behind this. There's, There's science behind this. But I'm a believer that inevitably the world will transition to a hydrogen economy. Getting this deal and other deals that are on the table approved as quickly as possible is securing our role as a foundation in this economy. It's the equivalent of tapping oil in Texas 100 years ago. How is that? You and I have back and forth on this a few times. You know, whether people have environmental questions, what have you, so be it. I don't live on that side of the province, so I don't have the same type of concerns that maybe someone who lives in Port-au-Port does. But let's talk economic upside. You say it's much like tapping oil in Texas. My question to you and Aaron and others has long been, what do we see as the economic upside, short-term, long-term? Because there's going to be construction jobs, absolutely. Full-time yeah. operational jobs, not a big number. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, we believe, is associated with phase I, I, one. You, you say that, 30 now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a – and let me just put this out here. I'm not involved with the project in any way. I, I'll say this much. I'm looking at going back and getting a graduate degree to, to, to get involved in this industry eventually. Uh but uh, right now, I'm not. And i, I got to ask, so where are you getting the 30? Because online, I mean, they're looking more like 300, which is, sounds better for the entire operation in my mind. Where I mean, did you see 300? At, oh, that's on the GH2 website uh, when it goes into a proposal. Now, I'm assuming that's probably taken all three phases in advance. But even then, the windmills are not going to be a big employer. That's the thing. Wind energy by itself doesn't have a huge amount. But that production ammonia plant plus then the distribution side. What we're talking about is a lot of pressure systems. I mean, for anyone who's involved in the oil industry, I mean, this is the way I think about it. Uh, Like you say, what are the benefits? Well, in one way, it's keeping the industry that we have here. When people say, how does a green industry work? Well, in terms of, well, what's an oil industry work right now? For a lot of people, they drive out in Donovan's. They see all these businesses. Now, this is not Exxon business. These are associated businesses. These are piping companies, the tubing companies, the pressure uh, vessel companies, the, the, the compressor companies. All of these companies are necessary for a hydrogen economy. Now, listen, I am going to say this. The local benefits of this project, I think, are going to be great. I suspect there will be hundreds of jobs locally which do not exist. These are jobs that don't require any flying in and flying out. These are permanent, local, high technical jobs. These are welders. These are engineers. These are controllers. I'll say this much. I got one concern here, the trend in the industry. I don't like the fact that this company has seemingly designed a lot of this out of California. If John Risley and the company is listening right now, and the government, I would say I demand locality in this in all aspects. I want those design jobs here in Newfoundland. I don't want Global's Energy Office up in Toronto. I think if we're going to be the first, that means we have to secure it here now. I want the head office 
here in Newfoundland. Well, see, that's the questions want- I'm asking, Dave, because yeah. there, uh, if everything economic upside comes to pass, I'm not opposed mm-hmm. to this project in any form or fashion, but what mm-hmm. I'm looking for is more information as to someone can tell me exactly yeah. what is in it for us, because there- if it's our water, our wind, our deep sea ports, our people, our proximity to the market, which is now, in this case, Germany, there should be a lot in it for us. But it's going yep. to be a lot in it for World Energy GH2. There's certainly a lot in it for the Germans. But what is in it for us? Like you mentioned oil. The oil return is clear. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a royalty associated with it, not only yeah. on top of the jobs and corporate and individual taxes, but what does that look like with hydrogen? That's and, sort of the question and, I'm asking. And so what is that royalty really based on? fact is it's 30 years, 25 years, whatever the field is. You can always hope for that. You can always hope that there's not going to be an oil rate collapse or a deep water event and you're having to pay off all those events. One of the big things is you got to change. Picture that royalty, except stretch it over indefinitely. I, this single project will not pay a huge amount of royalties, and what those royalties will be shaped like, no one knows. No. I will say this much. I'll say that that report, uh, what do you the McKenzie report? I'd say the answer is probably in that. I mean, that's the groups that are looking at this. They're trying to formulate what a future uh, economy is going to look like. They're the ones who have contacts in Germany who have been talking to all these different organizations on the plant. I'll say this. Right now, it's all based upon a $1.50 production value. That's that's the magic number you kind of read about between. So I'd say GH2, the reason why they want to do this here is right now they can look at by 2025, 2028, they're looking at a long-term production value for this facility of a buck fifty, And at that, they can make a lot of money. Now, what the royalty program will look like will be much like oil, what the local jurisdiction does. I'm of the point of view that right now, because of our resources available, the greatest return on investment comes with scaling. We don't have to write these rules down right now. We can have flexible contracts. GH2 will try to maximize their return. I would say we allow them to as much as we can with an acceleration clause. We use it in the oil industry. The buys at the oil co. use these sort of examples, trying to maximize future returns unknown. Same rules apply here. Some of these are unknown. But what we can do, just like, and, and people I read online are saying, oh, the government's desperate here. They're acting like some sort of banana republic, which is a terrible phrase. I hate that phrase. But listen, we listen to the news. We have every G7 leader. We have the leader of the EU, the economic leaders. We have the UN leader saying that we must aggressively pursue renewable energies. I am a big fan of Angela Carter on the phone here. Every time she speaks, you hear the urgency of her voice. Now, I depart from Angela Carter, and then I'm also a bit of a pragmatist. We need to keep pumping oil right now. If, if the greatest fear in my life, and this is where things get complex, you can look at numbers and you have engineers and scientists looking at numbers, but then you've got a politicians looking at the reality. Years ago, anyone looking at this, there were lots of people saying, look, if we cut energy too thin here, we're going to really raise some hackles. The Russians made their move because of conditions on the energy market. You know, they put... They, they put the chess pieces out. COVID came in. For two years, the world stopped down. The energy production goes. It was perfectly timed and for them to, to be able to put the vice on us. Uh, without energy, the world cannot function. We will collapse, and pff, it's all bets are off then. So we need to keep going forward in terms of where we are, having an oil industry that isn't sunset. It might be another 30, 40 years. But how do we keep Donovan's going? All the industries can keep going. On top of that, a royalties program can be developed over time, and then we have the benefits of scale. I 
well, would personally say we got to get ahead of the whole development. Long-term benefits, we're talking about storage, which means involving the offshore. And, and, and then we're talking about setting ourselves up so in 15 years we can be a hub. And people say, well, what does hub mean? Well, in the same way that you hear about, like, the Henry Hub which is because there's so much oil stored at this random place because at some point in history, someone said, we're going to start building oil tanks here. Right now, if we start building hydrogen storage here, in 50 years' time, we can have the same sort of market-making ability, at which point, how much is hydrogen going to be for Germany or whoever else wants it? Well, in the North Atlantic, anywhere ships can go from here, we can set that price. And we're in a position now where if we accelerate these programs, the most benign energy production. And listen, the the protesters in Stephenville, you're absolutely awesome. You're doing exactly what people all over the world do. Everywhere you've had a wind farm introduced, you will have local resistance. This is perfectly acceptable. Just a quick question before you keep going. You say we will set the price. Who's we? Well, and eventually, I mean, this is how anything works. I mean, right now, hydrogen is, is wide open. No one has secured this. We have talks of, you know, some massive projects, 40, 50 gigawatts out in Asia, uh, Middle East. The Middle East is where you're going to look because obviously they got the money to make this happen, but they got no water. And they're always going to be tinged with gray. We have the ability here, because what's going to happen in hydrogen, just like you have different qualities of oil product right now, you have you know, perfect Brent at 100 and something, but then you got Canada West, dirty oil, so at 20, you're going to have dirty hydrogen on the market, and you're going to have green. It will sell at a premium. We have the ability to produce 100% green here. We need to get Gull Island started up there, all right? because it will take energy to make this energy. And it's done. We, 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 like the Germany, that means we got a, a market secured. But this is going to be, in my opinion, just more customers opening up every day. And we are on a, we have distribution. We have to start making these distribution networks. We got a great crowd down on our gen show. It sounds like they're picking up the future here. They're getting things set up down there. What do I see? Do I see a wind farm in our gentian? No, but we're going to need distribution. Everywhere. We're going to have cryo. You say, you know, how, like another, instead of drilling and oil, we have drilling companies, we need to start bringing in cryo companies because it's all going to be a, a slightly different version of compression and pressure industries. But it's there and it, we have the education facilities here to facilitate this with minimal changes. It's, it's possible. Uh, I would say this. You talk about benefits. It's not just a matter of royalties. If I was John Risley right now, what I would do is I would invest and I would build a hydrogen fuel uh, station in Stephenville. I would make Stephenville in 10 years' time have a sign saying Hydrogen Capital of Canada. Uh, for, for $30 million, he could subsidize a hydrogen uh, car for every resident of Stephenville. And right now, uh, let me see, Toyota Mirai. Is a about a sixty thousand seventy thousand dollar car in Canada. You would take uh, ten dollars if he's producing, say at about two dollars Canadian. Sell it at two dollars Canadian. That means for ten bucks, you could fill up a car in Stephenville and drive to St. John's. That's technology available right now, if we embrace it. What we also got to do, as far as the provincial government goes, we've got to start uh, making a dedicated switch to our, mu- our municipal heavy industry. Is a easy fruit. Caterpillar's already developing it, uh, engines. We start dedicating this. 
So uh, right now, in terms of provincial distribution, we use a transportation workstation. Everywhere you drive by in the rural Newfoundland, you see those heavy machinery. That's where we need some tanks built. That's where we start storing our own hydrogen. You talk about royalties. How about this program? How about instead of paying off money, uh, we take 10% of all the product? And so we have free hydrogen for ourselves. We live like a Middle East oil company. That all sounds great. And you keep saying mm-hmm. we, but the government is not doing any of these things. So I know. I know. I'm not in charge. But I'm just saying that this is the potential. When you say what a hydrogen economy is, this is where we could be. Now, I'm going to say this. It seems like whatever's happening behind closed doors, the beautiful thing is we have a federal government and a provincial government on side. That's going to be beneficial here. We do have a local East Coast billionaire involved as opposed to say some weird shadowy god knows money i mean people are getting their hackles up about you know past incidents hey we got a guy here who who knows newfoundland he knows he lives here he's got property here i think he cares about the east coast you know but he also comes with some baggage and that's one of the absolutely that's just part of it here and plus it's the it's the unknowns that have people also asking questions and there's nothing wrong with asking these questions because there is pardon me What's like? Well, what's the, the what's the big unknown in your head here? Like, what's the big unknown that makes you go what? We've never done it, nor has anybody. No, how about no. that? For well, an unknown? Well, no, 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 no. Actually, we we kind of have Japan is is really the role model we got to be looking at here. Japan's got a lot of this laid down. They've used a lot of like uh, what can I say? Small test scenarios that have shown this. Like for instance, transport. They have the first hydrogen liquefied transport system already breaking new ground. We, we're laying it down about how these systems can incorporate. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why scientifically, yeah, if you look at across the, the, the board, you, you see these uh, these drawings where you have little, like, conversion dots and you see all the inefficiencies max, uh, stacked up and then they okay. add it all together. It, each one of these nodes, we have technology that can lower this down. In a couple decades, yeah, uh, what can I say? It, it's there's a reason why the majority of auto executives in the world believe that no, not Elon Musk battery powered hydrogen will be the inevitable endpoint. It's about getting at the beginning of that game. Dave, appreciate the time. I'm late for the break, Cheers, but uh, thanks for this. Ramble. Take care. And um, yep, uh, uh, thank you for all you do, sir. Thank you. S- stay in touch, Dave. Okay, bye bye. All right, let's go ahead and take a break for the newscast. We'll make it back. Richard, appreciate your patience. He wants to respond from what he heard from Minister O'Regan. Joy wants to talk about the cleaner home grants, and of course, the topics—they're up to you. Don't go away. Weekday mornings from five thirty to nine. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Richard. You're on the air. Yes, I'm a first-time caller. Uh, I'm 77th senior citizen. And I listened to all Reagan this morning. And it was just, I, I heard you asking about the senior citizen, but he just went off on the tangents. I see him on the news last night, and I heard it again this morning. A family of four just they're not going to know what to do with the money they're going to get. But anybody else, I mean, I I, I heard you say you were going to get to try to get some answers, but I haven't got email or Twitter or whatever. But uh, Okay, here's some breakdown for you, just a little bit more information. So residents in this province will get their first check next July. 
Individual adults will receive quarterly payments of $164, an additional $82 if a second adult lives in the home. Households will also get $41 for each child who lives in the home, meaning a family of four will get annual payments of $1,312. So there's a bit more of a breakdown. <laughs> yeah, I just had to pay out $280 for furnace protection. Oh, I understand. I'm just trying to give some numbers out for information. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's not good enough. I don't know who's more arrogant, or, or Reagan, or Shaban Cody. I mean, they're not listening to the people. They're not facing reality. It's ridiculous. I don't know. Well, I, I think the biggest issue here is, of course, we've been paying the carbon tax on fuels, but the exemption to heat our homes has been in place, which has given people some relief. It's going to cost an extra 17.3 cents uh, next year per liter, come July the 1st of next year, to put furnace oil in your tank. So that that's the concern. I mean, for folks who were having a hard time heating their home and keeping up with their bills today, it's going to be even that much more difficult in July of next year, no doubt. Well, it was just on the news uh, this morning, and now Alberta is giving $2.4 billion, billion to help the people for inflation. Families, senior citizens, disabled. Two point four billion. Yeah, that's right. Six hundred bucks per child, I think, is the yeah. key breakdown. People who are severely handicapped, which I'm not really sure what that means. And uh, index indexes for senior citizens. Yeah, the re-indexing happens in January. That's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not very good. I think there's a couple of differences between uh, our circumstances here and there. Alberta is looking at having a $13 billion surplus at the end of the fiscal year versus uh, our reality with the ability for the province to send out X amount of money to whoever. So I think there's a kind of a, a pretty big difference between $13 billion surplus and the province says now they're looking at a $400 million surplus. So that's a long way between those numbers, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's all I gotta say. I appreciate you making time, Richard. Good luck to you. Okay, let's keep going. Line number two. Joy, you're on the air. Oh, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Um, just we uh, have actually just about completed the process for Canada Cleaner Homes grant. We replaced our heat pump, and uh, we started the process in January. And we had to get the initial assessment. And just to let people know, this stuff, this, it takes a long time, and it's not cheap. The initial assessment was $585. You can't do anything till you have that, and those people just let you know exactly what you can claim for your grant type thing. could be Eddie. It could be insulation, could be windows, could be whatever. And uh, then, of course, and through no fault of the company that we chose, but it was the supply and demand type thing that they, they had to get heat pumps in. They were short, and, of course, we know that that's been an issue anyway. So we finally got our heat pump installed in, in August. And uh, since then, uh, we've had our inspection on September the 9th, our final inspection. And this is where everything went downhill because we found out the portal, and this is where Mr. O'Regan is not talking about, is the issues that they're having in their administration area, that the portal went down. 
I had already downloaded any inspections and receipts and whatnot that I had. Like you had to send in certification of the person that installs and these types of things they wanted. And I had it all on the portal. It all disappeared. I called the 800 number and the person said, no, the portal is working fine. So then I called what they call our service provider here in Newfoundland, and that's the people that do the inspection pre and post. Um, And they said, no, it's been down for a while. The people on the 800 number are not informed of that. And uh, they actually said we're in the process of sending out an email, and it went across Canada, apparently to everybody across Canada, anybody that's been in the process, send out an email to find out what's going on because it was it was nationwide and it was an issue. So then I sent the email and I got an answer back that there was issues and that they were working on it, so on and so forth. So about five emails later, they actually re-downloaded my receipts and they're back to... I'm looking at my portal site saying that my service provider needs to provide the final evaluation, which I've already given them a month and a half ago. And uh, I sent an email, my last email to, uh, and I'm using the same string. I just keep saying key C below, C below, <laughs> uh, you know, that to show that I'm sending it and that I'm getting responses that, uh, you know, you have this information, what's going on. And, and the last one I sent to them was November the 9th. And essentially, pardon me, I said to them, I don't know who to believe anymore. I can't see the service provider having any issue with sending out the last piece of information, but they can't send it out, and they're telling me they can't, and the government are telling me they have to send it out. I'm I'm saying, who's lying to me? What's going on here? So we're stuck now over two months later with our retrofit completed, with our assessment, our our post, evaluation completed everything is tickety-boo and we can't claim the money okay uh, now i'm as, as confused as you are joy so the provider is supposed to send it out but the provider says they can't send it out is that what you say they're having trouble with the portal as well oh it's as simple as trouble with the portal they're willing to send the information absolutely okay oh my and so are, are, are you having the same troubles with the portal as they are yeah, because I initially, you know, months ago, as I was getting just these piddly little uh, receipts and whatnot, because the initial assessment was $585, I sent that. And, you know, when we got our price, I sent that. And all those, and I could look on the portal and see what I had sent. And now I can't. And so in the middle of my email stream, it might have been email three or whatever, I actually attached every receipt I had to them. I said, here. You put it on, because because the email before that they had said, send us uh, copies and we'll download it for you. So I sent them seven, eight different documents, and they came back and said, we have downloaded it for you. Now I'm still seeing on the portal, I can't see it anymore, and that's what the service provider told me. She said, certain things you can see, we can't, and and so on, you know, and, and, and uh, vice versa. But, I mean, they're still saying that they need the final evaluation which i gave them and and my service provider is saying they gave it to them too and apparently the last piece according to the service providers that when they're they do say they've received the final evaluation the canada greener home sends me an email you know saying that this 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 and i have to basically agree off to it and then they pay out 
and this is what we're waiting on is this final piece. But they're still saying, uh, you know, I, I'm, I have my site open, and they're still saying my next step is to schedule and complete a post retrofit for an uh, guide evaluation and provide the documentation. And I did it. I've been looking at that for weeks on the portal. Eleven months is too long for anything, you know, when you're dealing with a, a rebate from the government. I'm sorry you're jumping through those hurdles. I just yeah. opened it up myself to see what I could see here, and I have not uh, tried to avail of this grant, so I'm not really very familiar with it. I'll have to admit that up yeah. front. But um, there's a general inquiries question email address here. I'm just going to ask them if they can give me some uh, understanding as to uh, how common the problems with the portal are, what's being done to rectify it, yeah. and just see if I can get some more information so I can talk about it. Yeah, my understanding, uh, you know, of the time frame, and I get it, because I worked for the government, and I know how they put these wonderful programs out, and nobody's ready for it. And that's what happened initially in the January thing, because they only had three inspectors here in Newfoundland that were certified to do those inspections, because they never knew this was coming up. So people had to be trained up to do it. Now they told us, the guy that came in in, in, in uh September, he was here, and he said, no, he said, we have, I don't know, it's like 16 or something now, but back then, and it was the same thing, you know, as I'm not surprised with the 800 number that they're not informed of what's going on, you know, it's just communication is nil. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my, Joy, hope it gets figured out sooner than later. Yeah, I'd like to get my money. I would imagine you would. (laughs) But, yeah, I just wanted to put it out there. It's not as easy as Mr. O'Regan is putting out there. And I'd love for Mr. O'Regan to come back and speak to this. I'm happy to have him back on next week if we if we can make time. No, no problem there. Yep, perfect. Thanks, Joy. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Boy, that's a bit of a convoluted mess. 11 months still shagging around with the same thing. Uh, let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number four. Tom, you're on the air. Good morning, sir. How are you this morning? Great. Tom, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Uh, quick comment before I ask my question. I uh, I listened to your interview there a few weeks ago with Krista Freeland. Uh, great interview. Loved it. Uh, one of the things that, that stuck with me and still I, I can't deal with is the fact that she mentioned during your interview that this particular Sunday, her and her family sat around the kitchen table discussing whether or not they would retain their Disney Plus service, uh, $13.64 a month. Now, here's a woman who's a multi-multi-millionaire, and she expects us to believe that she and her family sat around the kitchen table discussing whether that they could afford $13.64 a month with the caveat, uh, I know how people are hurting out there. Anyway, that's just my comment, but my question uh is that we at the hub here uh, heat with oil. Uh, $3,000 a month we're averaging to pay for it. and We're trying to convert to the heat pump issue, and, and as you're very aware, there's a lot of programs out there for homeowners to convert. Uh, and we're trying to find a program that helps charities and small businesses. And I've got our MHA and our MP searching for anything, but if anybody knows of any programs that's available for small businesses or charities, 
uh, welcome a call or suggestion as to how we can find us. Well, it's a question that I asked directly of the minister this morning. He said, and his office has followed up, saying that they will provide the answers to the questions that were unanswered here this morning, and I'll hold them to it. Oh, okay. I didn't hear this morning. I was busy with a bunch of things. So, uh, so you're telling me that they're going to probably have something for for people like us? Well, I don't. I, I can't answer that question, Tom, because the minister I had Minister O'Regan on this morning. So one of the direct questions I asked was whether or not there was any coverage for not-for-profits. He said, I'll have to get the information back to you. So I've got oh, a list okay. of what he could not answer, and I'm going to make sure that his uh, department gives me those answers. Oh, perfect. I spoke to his office a couple of days ago, and the lady there said she would she would try. So hopefully some more people will call in, and, and then uh, we'll get an answer on this. Because as I say, it's cost us a, a very fortune here, as I'm sure you can appreciate. And I've got a bunch of tenants in the building here who were supported by government in the form of grants and things. And I don't want to raise the rent because if I raise the rent, they got to go to government for more money to pay for their rent. So it's a vicious circle. So we could only get the, some help. I don't expect it all, but some help to uh, to convert. Then I can keep my rents low and cut down on the cost and, of course, help the environment. So that was my question, and you've answered it as always, Patty. So thank you very much for taking my call. I appreciate it. Happy to do it, Tom. I'll see how quickly we can get that information from the minister's office, for sure. Thank thank you very much. You're welcome, Bye-bye. Tom. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, yeah, I've got a little list of those cues, and we'll see if we can get them answered. Let's go to line one. John, you're on the air. Oh, good day. Good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Uh, I usually call you and talk to you about baseball and stuff. <laughs> today, my, uh, I'm a Yankees fan, and we lost, but that's so I would say, Levy. Uh, but now, about the carbon tax, and I listened to what you had, your discussion with Seamus O'Regan uh, about it. Um, now, like, the problem I see, I mean, both myself and my wife are seniors, so there's two of us living in the same household and we're anxiously looking forward to the the money that they were supposed to get for heat tax um, oil or whatever the hell it is and some other money we were supposed to get but the problem with them sending out is when they send you out money like they propose to do with the carbon tax thing uh, you're going to do a, a couple of things with it you're going to automatically the first thing you do is you're going to spend it in some form, yeah, you're going to either put it on your credit card or put it on a bill or spend it at the grocery store or whatever, yeah. Or go to the go to the serv- uh, service station or the gas bar and um, put gas in your car, and then you're paying it all back again because of the tax on um, on fuel, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. So I mean, they're, 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 in giving it to you, they're also going to take it back. That's the way it is with just about every tax. Well, yeah, I suppose that's a fair summary. Regardless of, you know, where the money comes from, government benefits when you spend it, unless you spend it, for instance, servicing your credit card or going to Jamaica or something. But, yeah, in basic terms, that's, yeah, that's well, fair. Like I, I said to you when, I, when we started, that my, my wife and I are both seniors and we're both retired and we're living on pensions and stuff. And, unfortunately, going to Jamaica is kind of out of the question right now. Uh, but, I mean, the thing is, like, uh, when you're a senior and you're living on pensions that haven't been moved in uh, since Adam was a lad, um, uh, you know, you, you're, you, whenever they put a tax on it, on something, it, it's only driving you deeper into the hole. The solution to the carbon tax is that they eliminate it altogether 
and not even do it. But I mean, the thing is, they, um, the politicians don't want to do that because then they're going to end up looking bad. And the only way you can get back at characters like Shane, because I was familiar with him from the last election, is that you got to hit him where it, where he it hurts. Either come up with another member to service our district, or you know, or don't you you know, keep voting him out of office. Uh, that's the only thing they understand is votes, right? So uh, uh, I can't, unless there's a big uprising against them to eliminate the carbon tax, which is going to make them look bad, uh, they don't want to do that. Do you not think political parties need to have some sort of policy in place regarding climate? Of course, yeah, of course they do. But I mean, the thing is, it's got to be at the benefit of you. You know, you you don't solve a problem. Uh, you know, um, I majored in history. I'll tell you that from uh, any problems that came down since the French Revolution, uh, there's there's solutions to them was often not very nice. And uh, the only way you can get rid of some of the, because uh, they don't want to be looking bad, especially if they're going to be going, coming around in a couple of years' time looking for you to vote for them. When they stand at your door and you can say, aha, the carbon tax. But I mean, uh, beyond that, they, they don't want to do, they want to do whatever the party agenda sets up for them. But I mean, in order to change the party objective, you almost sometimes you got to change the people who are running for you. And um, and I, that's what I remember saying to him at the time that you're not you're of no benefit to me whatsoever, because uh, your solutions are not workable. And uh, when you put on a tax on something, is uh, remember the American Revolution was about taxes, right? And uh, uh, the only way to eliminate it is you got to eliminate the tax altogether. So I mean I I mean I you I know you're composing a list of of questions and things. Pardon me. Um, I, I I understand you're composing a list of questions and things about what to ask from the, that department. Could you add maybe what you're going to do with with pensioners? Because when we're at at the extreme end of what we can't afford. I mean, we're we're waiting on our our money from the provincial government for tax uh, for oil rebate, and we're also waiting for another tax money from for whatever they got they dreamed up. But I mean, we're going to, uh, we got to take that money because our house is heated by oil, and we can't afford to buy an oil a new convert over to electrical. And I can tell you from experience with people on our street here who live here who went out and bought heat pumps. Uh, it depends on where you put your heat pump. If you have a basement, and usually most people house it's cold, the coldest room in the house is the basement. Uh, you have a heat, put a heat pump there, and but it doesn't service upstairs. You almost need in, in our house, which is two floors, an upstairs and a downstairs, obviously. Uh, we basically need two heat pumps. Yeah, I mean, we can't afford one heat pump. (laughs) Yeah, one is only going to do, like, for instance, in my home, it's in the main living room kitchen area. 
right? And of course, you close the door. And sometimes, like we use it to cool the house in the summer, you close all the windows, of course, and uh, open up all the doors, and it eventually makes its way through the house. But that's only on the main floor, so you're right. I mean, and even and if you had one in the basement, unless it was uh, below a, a, a vent, you're not going to get any impact upstairs. So I, I get your point. Well, higher rises, as we all yeah. know. So, I mean, like in our house, like I said, it was two floor, our, our main floor, which is our living room and kitchen and stuff, and our bedrooms. And now a friend of ours who lives on the street went out and bought one a couple of uh, weeks or a month, maybe less than a month ago. He, he, and he discovered that if he put his heat pump in his main floor, his upstairs is not getting heated. So, basically, he needed two. I understand. Yeah, and 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 even like us living on pensions, uh, we can't afford to, to sell. Well, what we sell our furnace and sell our oil tanks and all this kind of stuff. What we got is is what we got, and uh, we and we can't can't afford to put in a heat pump because uh, you know no matter what kind of grant they're going to give you, uh, we need two heat pumps. Because we're old and I, I know I heard that part. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I, I would want you know if I know they're Seamus said just going to do something for farm or doing something for farmers and fishermen and all that kind of stuff. But we're not all farmers and fishermen, and and we worked. I mean, I put in thirty-two years of slavery, uh, uh, called work, and I paid my share. Of taxes and one thing and another, and and uh, I don't need to be paying paying more. And if I, if they do, I mean, we're debating now. My wife and I were, were expecting fifteen hundred dollars in total things, but we got to put that money aside to buy oil. I get it. I heard that, John. Yes, sir. And you know, and it's like uh, unless they do something for for the the large part of us who are getting slowly getting old and I know uh, there's only one solution in that aging and that's not a good solution. Uh uh is you know, we the the only way to to stop you know, you can give you all kinds of rebates they want, but the way to do it is eliminate the tax altogether. Fair enough, John. Appreciate the time this morning. Next time let's talk baseball. Oh yeah, you want you know uh, you want to talk about uh, what, what my Yankees are going. Uh, I still haven't heard what they're going to do with uh, with George. Uh, I, uh, uh, All I know is that boy's going to get paid. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I know they get paid a huge amount of money. When you know, uh, um, a number of years ago, my when I first retired, my brother-in-law wanted us to go down to see because he knew I loved Yankees. Wanted to go to New York. To, to see uh, in the new ballpark and everything, I, I always refer to the old ballpark, the old Yankee Stadium. Sure. But, um, Very quickly, uh, John, I'm late for the news. I but okay, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm I'm not very good at heights. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to do with him. I, uh, if, if they uh, and the Yankees are supposed to have a ton of money anyway, they do. But, um, but the Blue Jays are Durable um, uh, Creek without a paddle. Yeah, maybe. I see they uh, tendered out a bunch of contracts. A uh, few notables. Tapia didn't get a contract offer and a couple more. But I'm late for the news. i got to go, but I look forward to the next baseball chat. Will you, will you add my I will. question, my senior, I will. to your list? I will. Oh, okay, thank you, Penny. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, let's take a break for the news. Pat's in the queue to talk about the cost of living. Don't go away. 
You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go to line number two. Pat, you're on the air. Uh, Patty, do you know when or how the uh, rollout of these uh, provincial checks that we're supposed to get, how is that working? Checks have uh, started to be mailed out. The folks who are the lowest income earners will get theirs first. That's the structure. It's going to take about six weeks for every check to be out. Uh, So that would be hopefully everybody gets by Christmas, I guess. That's the plan. Okay. And no, because I know like a lot of people, I mean, uh, I know one person because they have someone still in the ca- in the family who's over 18, but the reason still living at home. So for that household, it's 1500 bucks that they could be getting or somewhere between 12 and 1500 And I mean, uh, as they were saying to me this morning, with uh, Black Friday and that coming up, Christmas coming up, that's a significant amount of money that we could spend Black Friday. We don't know when we're going to get it. I don't want to make purchases that I don't have the money for. Yeah, I mean, I've been hesitant to say that you're going to get your check at this date or that date because I just don't know. Because I'm not even sure how many checks went out in the first batch, but the government says the lowest income earners will indeed get their checks first. So those who qualify for 500 will get it well before the people who qualify for 250. Yeah. Uh, well, is it just five hundred two fifty, or is there a minimum amount between two fifty and five hundred? There is, yeah. There's a sliding scale between those earning a hundred thousand okay, or less and one twenty five. Thanks, Patty. The other one I have to ask you, because I was reading this morning and uh, just an article on your page and totally confused. I don't understand anything about it. Uh, Apparently, the carbon tax, the federal government collects it, but apparently in Newfoundland, the provincial government is collecting the federal the carbon tax at this point in time? That's right. And, it, okay, so we're collecting it, and I'll get to the point of this in a minute, Patty, if you need a point to it. So we're collecting it right now. If the feds were collecting it, I'm not a... It doesn't matter to me what they do they do with it. But apparently they someone in Ontario was telling me that there's a rebate associated with the federal government collecting the uh climate tax. So in other words they call if they collect like Ontario, Alberta, that uh, these people then get uh, checks every three months or six months of uh, carbon rebate checks. Yeah, they get them quarterly, yeah. So we don't get that here, and the provincial government is collecting the money. So my point, Patty, in case you were waiting for me, my point is, like, okay, all of, the, all of this, this $500 and whatever that the provincial government is giving us and saying, oh, cost of living and blah, 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 that's our money anyway. Yeah, it always is. Government doesn't have their own money. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. But you understand what I mean. Is if, we, if the federal government had to be collecting it, not only would we have gotten $500, sometimes was that they might have got as much as $1,000. Yeah. So, so we're, we're being bought with our own money. Uh, Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, but I don't know if, if there's any difference... 
with any other check that comes out from the government. If you get a GST rebate, it's because it's your money anyway. Government doesn't have their own money, so I guess I get your point. But just to be clear, the current carbon tax in this province is simply applied to fuels, not home heating fuels, but the other fuels. Come July the 1st of next year, we won't be on our own plan. We're going to be on the federal plan. So right. we'll be getting the same rebate checks that they're currently getting in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario. Now they've added Nova Scotia, PEI, and this province as of July 1st okay. next year. What I thought you were going to say for a minute uh, was that may also apply to a bigger percentage of goods than it currently applies to? It'll be applied to home heating fuels. Okay, where now it's not. That's right. Okay, and beyond beyond that beyond that, it it uh, there shouldn't be no real impact other than other than the fact of who collects it. Uh, but I'm th- I'm thinking or whatever, and I don't know. Like I said, I'm it's new all new to me this morning, and look into into the number of research. It would take time for me, but I'm wondering. Okay, if that's not also part of of the government and the situation we find ourselves in of doing better than we did, if that's also not another factor in it, besides the cost of commodities and royalties we received were so high, corporate taxes compared to what we expected, you made you made the situation sound back in when you done the initial budget way worse than what it was going to be, as governments always do, you know. Well, some of that's a moving target, though, because a lot of it is contributed to the increase in the price of a barrel of oil. Exactly. That's what I, what I said before. This, uh, you know, making things sound worse than they were. It's also the the commodity prices. You know, minerals, not just oil. Mineral prices have gone through the roof as well. For some of them. So I'm sure I'm sure like Boise Bay or any company exporting minerals out of Newfoundland, you're getting a lot more royalty, a lot more corporate taxes from these guys than you ever would before. So I, I'm wondering, though, also if, and I don't know, maybe the federal government collecting it at the provincial wouldn't make any difference to the coppers from Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, it will. But I would like if someone like uh, like uh, Alison Coffin or someone could get on and actually answer that question, because I really haven't looked at it myself or had and never ever thought of it till now. To well, I'm I'm sure that that affected the coffers of Newfoundland and Labrador to a significant extent as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thanks, Patty. I won't take up any more of your time than that. I'm sure there's lots of extra calls, and thanks because, uh, as I said, the main question was, as I know a lot of people who Cyber Monday coming up, Black Friday coming up. Black Friday in particular, you can spend locally, you know, and I I strongly support that. If there's a way that you can get your product locally, support local if you can. Thanks for this, Pat. Where you can. And uh, people where that I know planning on big purchases and they're just hesitant, hesitant because am I going to get my money in time, you know, before Christmas that I have it to pay back? I don't want to spend money like anybody. Responsible people are not wanting to spend money that they technically don't have. Some people already got their checks back. 
Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. So they're working through the system, and actually, it's going to take time. Anyway, thanks, Patty. Have a good holidays. If I don't talk to you before then, and the same with David and the rest of the crew up there. And the same to you. Enjoy thanks. Your holidays, and hope everybody is well. Thanks. Thank you, Pat. Thanks, Pat. All right, bye bye. Uh, so there you go. I've already had since the five hundred dollar conversation came up. Some people have already received their checks. So let's see. Uh, one, two, three. Got five people who wrote me an email in the last seventy-five seconds. Say they got their check. Good. Let's take our final break of the morning. Don't go away. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. A little premature for us in the bottom while I cleared my throat. Okay. A couple of uh, things to note on the greener home grant as provided by Sue. I wasn't aware they changed some of the rules back in September, but to avail of that particular grant, you're going to have to install a heat pump on each floor of the home as opposed to just being able to warm up your main living area, say, for instance, in your kitchen living room area like many of us have, like every home with a big island in it now. Okay, so that's important information. Thanks to Sue on that one. A couple of qu- people asking questions about the collision between the two Bell Island ferries not so long ago. And, of course, people need to know exactly what happened, whether it was just an error in judgment, uh, given the, the state of the sea that day. I don't know. People are implying that there might be more to it, that there might be some tippler's way kind of stuff in there. So I don't know, but there must have been some sort of investigation into it. I'll see what I can find out. Then we see reported yesterday that one of the people working on the, uh, the ferry, when it was docked in the cove, fell overboard. So what went on there is also a matter of, I would imagine, concern. And sticking with transportation, and this time let's take to the skies. I know that many people say that every time that there's a decision made, like by WestJet, they decided that they weren't going to continue the direct flight from St. John's to Dublin because there was greener and more lucrative uh, pastures at Halifax's uh, Stanfield Airport. So people just throw their hands in the air, well, there's nothing we can do about it. When in fact... Obviously, there is something because Halifax managed to uh, poach it from us. So, the whole Irish trip, or the direct flights from uh, St. John's, for instance, to Europe, I mean, it's just infuriating to get on a plane to fly to Halifax or Toronto to fly back over your own home as you make your way across the Atlantic. There is a new outfit that's going to start doing transatlantic flights. It's called Fly Atlantic. It'll be one of those no-frill type of airlines, which really have a hard time sticking around for years on end because, of course, the big established carriers find ways through ticket sales, seat sales and the like to drive them out of business. But this one's going to be between uh, destinations in the United States, Canada and other European countries with Belfast International Airport. If you've never been to Belfast, it's completely worth it. So inside of Canada, I sent off a quick email to see are we even in on the action to potentially be one of the airports for this particular direct flight? I mean, these types of things are important. You know, when people talk about tourism and the big bump to the economy that it represents, and it does, and it's an important industry without question, when people look at the ease of traveling here and the cost of traveling here, that absolutely influences their decision whether or not they're going to come to the province. So direct flights make a big difference, not just for us who'd like to get out of here and maybe make your way to Northern Ireland, but of course for anyone in that region who'd like to come to this province. So... You know, these types of things, it'd be nice to know how aggressive the airport authority is on trying to increase routes because we've known over the course of the pandemic, we've lost a lot of uh, carriers, or pardon me, a lot of flights for different destinations here in the province, including Labrador. There's no longer an Air Canada presence, if I remember correctly, in that part of the province. So keep your eyes peeled for whether or not Fly Atlantic is going to include one of their stops to be in St. John's. St. John's directly to Belfast. 
I'd be completely into it. All right. Uh, and again, it's confusing to me sometimes as to what people hear or how they hear it. Uh, same kind of email, or maybe they just do it to yank my chain, is why we haven't been talking about the Emergency Act inquiry in Ottawa, when of course we have many, many times. And I'm not sure that we've even had a single call on it, have we, Dave? I, I don't think. Well, I can't recall it. There's lots of crazy stuff going on up there. And some confusing issues as well. So with the council representing the uh, the protesters yesterday, he was kicked out of the proceedings based on his his behavior. And now he's accused a particular executive of being a provocateur and being at Ottawa at the rally with the Nazi flag. Remember, that was one of those things that immediately jumped out and grabbed headlines. He's, you know, who are these people that are carrying these types of symbols around? The protesters have long said that it was someone who wasn't belonged to the convoy, wasn't belonged to the protest, and did it of their own accord to make them look bad. Now the counsel for the protesters has named someone by name, some guy Fox. They say that it's completely ridiculous. They're, they say they're going to uh, sue the guy for libel, but it's just an example of some of the confusing and kind of bizarre political theater that's happening at those proceedings. Now this is an important week. Ministers of the Crown, including Justice Minister Lametti today, and the Prime Minister is scheduled to testify on Friday. But now that we've heard CSIS Director David Vigneault say that he supported invoking the Mercies Act, that's basically, I think, all we're going to hear. And what that means for the eventual outcome and the final report, which has to be delivered by the Commissioner uh, by February, yeah, you're going to hear an awful lot of the same thing coming. And, of course, the ultimate question always will be, what will the outcome and eventual ruling actually mean, politically speaking? You know, will there be anyone held to account on either side? Unlikely. All right, quick check-in on the Twitter before we run out of time. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Email address is openline at vocm.com. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.